0: Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hi, I'm your host, Cameron Ford, coming to you from Silver State Canine in fabulous Scent City, Las Vegas. Today's episode is episode one. This episode was recorded when I went to Palm Springs for the CNCA conference where I met up with Fred Helfers and Pete Stevens. Both Pete and Fred have been police canine handlers, both working detection dogs, and more recently they're involved in the sport of nose work. This interview, where I interviewed each one separately, you'll get to hear how they describe many of the similarities that occur in and law enforcement and the professional scent detection dogs as well as what they see when working with people in nose work some of the common errors some of the common important factors are very similar in both professional and sport so i hope you enjoy this episode it is a two-parter so sit back listen and enjoy and we look forward to your feedback Hello, everybody. This is Cameron Ford with Talking Sense. We are here for another segment from the 2019 CNCA uh, and Canine Nosework Combined Conference. I am here with my guest. This is, this time it's Fred Helfers. Fred has been both a law enforcement officer canine 9 Handler and Detection as well as he's become well known these days in the canine Nose Work world, uh, being involved in the sport and educating people on a lot of things in, in uh, detection in that realm. Fred,
1: how are you doing? Very good. How are
0: you? Good. If you could give everybody a little bit of a background for you, just for our listeners who may not have heard of you, what you've done, how I knew you on the professional side of things, sure. and then uh, what you do now.
1: All right. So, um... I was a police officer for a total of about 28 years, uh, 25 of those years being with an agency up in Everett, uh, Washington. And uh, during that time, I had the fortune to uh, uh, write a proposal and get assigned a drug dog, which led to um, more experience with drug dogs. And before that, I had been training bird dogs. So it was natural that being uh, that I had one of the first drug dogs in the Pacific Northwest, uh, that I fell into training drug dogs. Uh, which uh, eventually led to operating a a private facility for training uh, police officers for uh, uh, not only drug detection, but accelerant detection and then uh, other forms of detection, too, for about 22 years uh, during the time I was a police officer. Um, That led to interesting training concepts such as working with insect detection dogs and accelerant detection dogs so my passion was always and still is very much detection dogs, not bite dogs, sure. but detection work. Sure.
0: And today, I know you sp- you focus a lot with the individuals that compete in nose work. How have you seen that evolve during your time? That you- and how many years you've been involved with nose work now?
1: Well, I was uh, um, uh, kind of asked to join and, and uh, uh, work with uh, canine nose work people back in 2012, where one of the founders. Uh, Uh, Ron Gaunt, a good friend of mine, we actually went through basic canine training together in 1982, a few years back, and um, uh, he asked me to come and watch some training with Amy, Mm -hmm. uh, which I did, and I was uh, really taken in by it. Uh, uh, It wasn't so much the dogs as it was also the passion by the handlers. Absolutely. So since that time, 2012, I've been involved in canine nose work and teaching a lot of seminars, uh, not only in the United States, but... Australia and Sweden and uh, Denmark uh, Mm -hmm. uh, so Mm -hmm. uh, having a lot of fun so one question I always ask all my guests
0: and what or how have you seen science and psychology over these years as long as you've been in it too infiltrate the detection dog world how have you seen it
1: become more relevant well if we go back to my early years uh 82 through say 90 um very much uh, The modality training I was training was like U- with the U.S. Customs Detection Dog Program, um, very good program I thought, and uh, very good in terms of uh, instructional training the dog and the handler, but very little science based. Mm-hmm. So you jump ahead, then you go up into the 2000s, and actually right before that, and then all of a sudden the Swig dog comes along. Yes. So I was uh, I was invited to with my uh, cu- uh, cooperation of. Uh, uh, Dr. Ken Furton that kn- I've known him, uh, he presented a lot of our uh, canine seminars. Um, I was invited to join as a membership in 2005 for Swig Dog, and participated in that through the. Uh, um, I think it was together for seven, eight years. You know, before it was uh, the funding ran out, uh, but we did a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. But that exposed me to science. Yeah. Th- that exposed me to some of the, I think some of the greatest people in the world in terms of science and canine olfaction. Canine behavior, um, that type of thing. So there, that was my beginnings into science. But what I've what I've seen is that because of work uh, by the scientists in cooperation with dog trainers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it has really enhanced the ability of dog trainers mm-hmm. to train their dogs mm-hmm. in di- far different modalities. I mean, than what people were used to. So I've seen their learning curve increase dramatically. But also the professionalism of the dog training increased dramatically. So I think it's a win-win situation.
0: Absolutely. No, and I fully agree with you just the time that I've done it. The professionalism or how we handle training and how we address things has dramatically changed in just even the past 10 years, you know. I joke around, we have K9 1.0, K9 2.0, and K9 3.0 is what I call now. Is We're a lot more science-oriented. We're using things as marker training for communication and things that are create a clearer picture for the dogs versus us trying to play the doggy magic games that we used to do, trying to convince a dog, we know we don't have it on us, it's not on us, but they all know it's on us. Um, but anyway, so as a person who's getting in, let's say their first year as a detection dog handler, um, what's some of the best advice you give somebody that's in that, that new stage?
1: You mean a professional detection of your handler? Sure. Okay. So their very first year um, is foundation, foundation, and foundation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Never stray from foundation. Mm-hmm. When the crap hits the fan, it's just like when we're trained as police officers. We're trained at so well on the range, aware of our tactical entry, or making traffic stops. And things go sideways, you're going to relate right back to your basic training, right back to your foundational work. Well, magnify that. Ten or a hundred times with a dog, mm-hmm. and what you'll find is that all of a sudden you can't go wrong if you've mm-hmm. trained properly. If your foundation is solid, mm-hmm. I mean solid, um, you will always do well, and your dog will do really well. Mm-hmm. And from there, you only got room to grow.
0: Sure. Now, for the sport trainer, their first year, what advice would you give them? Uh,
1: for the sport tr- trainer, is uh, uh, this goes for all dog training, I think. As number one, is be patient. Mm-hmm don't expect your dog to do things that other people are doing that have had two three years experience with you Mm -hmm. and that's common i see that they have three to six months experience and all of a sudden they think they're ready for this big trial that's coming up uh, when in fact that the dog may be ready but they're not ready yeah you know so it relates back to the professional world of foundational training so but also a lot of patience you know be patient with that dog because That dog that that is your companion, Mm -hmm. that dog that is your best friend and is with you 24-7 and um, sleeps on your bed, Mm goes for walks with you, travels in your car, Mm -hmm. but also has one of the best devices ever for olfaction, which is a nose, Mm -hmm. then... uh, It got a little bit distracted.
0: Yeah, as, as we are live, they are filling the ice machines up next to us as we do this. Yes.
1: So bear so, with us as we record this. Right, but anyway, so those folks um, uh, they have to understand that it's going to take a little bit of while. And, and a lot of those dogs, um, that hunting instinct, that we, we look for so heavily upon our professional dogs has been diminished through breeding or behavior modification mm-hmm. or whatever with their own dogs. Mm-hmm. So just be patient and allow that to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun part about it. Yeah. I mean, that, that is huge. The, uh, the concept of allowing your dog, mm-hmm. your, your companion, to experience another world of the freedom of olfaction mm-hmm. to hunt mm-hmm. is just so much fun. It's, it's just so much fun. Absolutely.
0: So one of the things that people obviously talk about uh, quite a bit is the importance of teaching alert or the importance of teaching hunt. We both know have or, or searching, have a high value. What would you do first? What's the first thing you work with? Is it the hunting or the search part of it, or is it teaching a final response?
1: Well, in the professional world... Mm-hmm. Um, the way I was trained is we, you know, we base, basically back chain and we teach a final response, mm-hmm. okay? And there's a variety of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're on schedules for training dogs and putting sure. dogs out if you're a vendor, et cetera, et cetera. And you got a class coming up and you got to make sure that dog's ready before, you know, or if you're doing green dog greet handler. But in the sports world, okay, I truly believe it's important they teach their dog. They allow their dog to learn the freedom of the hunt and develop those techniques that have been You know, uh, squashed or diminished Mm -hmm. um, because you didn't want that type of behavior. Allowing that dog to hunt Mm -hmm. first—it's—it's introducing odor is so easy, as you know. Okay, and do you really need a final response in the sports world? No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Okay, if the handler learns to watch their dog hunt, and when they get to an odor for which they've been introduced, Mm -hmm. give a change of behavior, Mm -hmm. and that might simply be just a little quick look by the head sure that might be uh, a sit that yep. they do automatically yep. or a down then take it because mm-hmm. uh, as you and I know there's a lot of competition that we're, where those dogs are so intense mm-hmm. you know little um, shih tzus little yeah. uh, um Pomeranians, Pomeranians yeah. or uh, the best one that I you know, truly like, and I'll make, most probably make a lot of friends. Sure. Are the Papillons? Yeah, they are hunting fools out there. They really <laughs> are. They're just, they just—they simply amaze me. And of course, we got the tried and true Labs and Shepherds and males and and Great Dogs mm-hmm. in, in the professional world. Uh, springer's excellent mm-hmm. dogs, but allowing that dog to hunt mm-hmm. brings back all of that—that uh, that natural drive, that mm-hmm. natural. Uh, ability to go, and guess what? Have fun. Mm-hmm. These dogs, uh, and I've seen it with shelter dogs. I've done uh, some programs where we've uh, I've gone in and volunteered and, and just did a little bit of nose work, mm-hmm. introduction yep. to these shelter dogs, and it brings them out of a shell.
0: Absolutely. And yep. it helps
1: overcome those environmental issues that may have Correct. got them there in the first place. Yeah. So it's a phenomenal program. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when those handlers go home after a session and that yeah. week they are training, mm-hmm actually playing a game yep. which by the way we do that in fresh professional world sure absolutely you know, by the end of the day all they're doing is enhancing that dog's quality of life mm-hmm. and their quality of life mm-hmm. it's a win-win situation it, absolutely it really and, is and you
0: brought up a good point about the final response the as I've done both sides of the equation now both sport world and in the professional side of things obviously the professional side of things we we're looking for a demonstrative alert that a handler and, and and even, obviously, in most cases the legal side, the judge could look at a video and say, yeah, I can tell that dog's alerting, where in nose work the handler, the response is very minimal sometimes from the dog, but the handler knows their dog so well that they are able to call that alert. You know, like you said, that's not going to work on us, the legal side of things, many times. And we, in the legal side of things, also articulate all the pre-alert behaviors along with whatever our defined final response is. But, yeah, that was one of the things I had to get used to was I was very used to those very strong, you know, very clear alerts by a dog in the working world. And then I go in the sport world, and I'd see the slightest little move, and the owner like, "Alert," and they're right, but I was shocked because I could barely see it myself. Yeah. so it, it, and a lot of times I know in our world we get really heavily focused on, well, the final resp- response needs to be this, and it has to be that. And the one thing I always pass on for people to understand is when it comes to the professional side of things, it's a demonstrative alert. It's something that you can easily articulate and demonstrate and meet the legal scrutiny. And in the sport world, it's whatever works for your dog. And you know your dog best. And obviously competition, you got to be able to call out those hides and be correct.
1: Yeah, and it's simply amazing. A lot of the... Um, you know, I call them civilians because I've mm-hmm. been a police officer for a lot of years. Yeah. But a lot of the civilians in nose work or scent work or whatever AKC scent work, whatever you have there, it's um, they truly take the task. The fact they have to learn that dog's behavior mm-hmm. and being able to call some of those alerts is phenomenal I, yep. I, i'm like you i yep. i've witnessed it where it's just a blink of the of the eye or the mm-hmm. head yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, uh or with corgis yeah i have a good friend who has a, a elite title on a dog <laughs> mm-hmm. n-a-c-s-w elite title and her little corgi when it gets on odor it physically plants its feet mm-hmm. and she'll call alert every yeah. time every <laughs> time and she, so it's really fun to watch sure but if you take that Whole concept and in the professional world, where yes, we we need a, a response, a final response, if you will, uh, an alert. People yep. sometimes people call it okay to where we can articulate. Correct. All right. And I learned that that a long time ago when I was teaching police officers back in the mid '80s, late '80s, is that eventually it got around to say I had handlers come in and and they totally missed mm-hmm. the changes of behavior,
0: mm-hmm.
1: telling them there's oh, there's dope in this area. Mm-hmm they were waiting for that yeah. scratch or yeah. that sit. Yep, yep. But they had no clue about the dog's behavior. Correct. So we had to go back and reinvent that whole thing and say, look, your dog's starting to alert here. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's a behavior mm-hmm. that's consistent with past behavior where narcotics or odors have been present or present in the past, residual. Mm-hmm. So understanding that and teaching that theory before your dog's going to sit when sure. it gets dope. Yep. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't. You know, or scratch or whatever. Sure. Okay, that's going to happen. Yep. I want you to learn what happens before that Mm -hmm. when the dog's on odor or the dog's not on odor. Yep.
0: So much of it's handler education, like you're saying. It is by by educating the handler. That's a majority part of the training process that we deal with, but a lot of training in our in our field focuses all about the dog. Yes. And we miss so much of the education that is needed. For the handlers, so that way they can prevent some of the common issues they go through. So with that, I ask you, and it'll be another two-pronged question, what's the common errors or things that you see in the professional dog world that handlers deal with? And then, again, same for sport people.
1: Common handler errors in the professional world. um, I'd say what first comes to mind is uh, poor leash handling. Okay. Okay, either... Not allowing the the dog to search, being too tight, you know, being over the, over the top of the dogs, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, uh, allowing too much, correct, you know, to where the dog's just bouncing off the walls, yeah, you know, so they got to have some direction mm-hmm. there, uh, it's clear to, to clear a room, so to speak, you know. In the professional world, we learn patterns,
0: yes, and
1: but a pattern isn't simply dictating to the dog, I want you to search every inch. Now, I know some modalities do that, sure, okay, but the reality is, is all he's doing is saying, hey. You know, giving the, giving the dog an opportunity to inspect mm-hmm. the area. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And mm-hmm. the dog will take over from there. Mm-hmm. All right? So yep. there's – there's so leash handling is, is one of them. Yep. Uh, and the other part about it with a lot of uh, professionals, and they don't learn this right away because I'll tell you, it took me about 10 years, is having the patience to uh, learn to <laughs> read your dog. Yes, Patience um, is key. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say a couple of years before they're really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that builds trust, et cetera, and all, as yeah. we know. With the, with the nose work dogs, uh, the scent work dogs, um, their modality of training is different. Their expectations and their goals are, mm-hmm. are different. They mm-hmm. want, you know, certainly everybody should have fun, the professionals included, when working their dog. But what we look for in the scent work, in nose work, is that not only is it fun, mm-hmm. a and it should be for all dogs. Yeah. It's not for yep. just, you know, the high drive, high drive and, yeah, or the exactly. top breeds or top detection dog breeds. It's for every dog out there. Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with dogs that were, had three legs. I've mm-hmm. worked with dogs that are blind mm-hmm. and, and deaf. Yes. And I've, yep. and I've worked with older dogs. Mm-hmm. Nose work brings out the best in some of those older dogs. I think it in, increases their, uh, you know, the quality of life. dramatically, And and the trade-off there is it also increases the handler's quality of life. So yes. So it's a phenomenal sport, you know. So, yeah, having the patience to understand this is a process that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. The dog's been doing it for multiple centuries. Yes. Forever. Yep. As when the time of day, that's part of their instinctual drive. So they have that skill. Mm-hmm. We now have to try and catch up and be able to work with that dog as a team. And that doesn't happen overnight. No. So don't push it. Don't rush it enjoy the ride enjoy the fun you're gonna have uh, with nose work and i think you know it opens up so many doors absolutely so
0: i saw something on your website and this is just a question based off what i saw and you can explain what it is there's a photo and it's basically a solo cup with like a string coming (laughs) from it and it's hanging down explain what that is and how you use it
1: all right okay so um one of, and I never used it in drug dog work. Sure. Okay. Well, I once, I used something similar to that, but it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So when I was introduced to nose work and one of my tasks was I wanted to educate people because they always thought that, you know, odor's going to be in this solid object on the wall or in a car or on a, in a box, et cetera. I wanted to, expl- to show them that, look, if you suspend an odor mm-hmm. and the room, and you got a little bit of wind, it might be inside or outside, that dog is going to tell you where the odor is if you have the patience to allow that dog to work the scent cone or mm-hmm. the scent plume. And so I, I got these the little Dixie cup mm-hmm. with some string. And the first time I put it out there with my crazy lab, uh-huh. all right, the wind's blowing and that cup is swinging three to five <laughs> feet each way. And I go, well, this ain't going to work. Yeah. So what I did, ended up doing was uh, inside the cup is a, a large uh, washer okay. that's tied to the string. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I put a, a little scent can that has like a, a birch anise or cloves yep. and essential oil. And that goes up on in the inside of the cup. Gotcha. So now the cup's weighted down. Yep. All right. So there's a source of odor there. Yeah. So what happens that is initially you start off, you, you keep the cup lower to the dog's head. Okay. Height. They'll come into the area mm-hmm. and they'll work the scent cone. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the handle is at their end of their leash, preferably mm-hmm. a 10 or 12 foot leash, 15 mm-hmm. foot. And they'll see their dog's head follow back and forth that scent plume, and then come to the cup and make a decision. Mm -hmm. Does the dog at that point tell the handler, here it is, or does a dog take that further step and stick their nose right up into the cup and go to source? Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten, that dog, if... The handler's patient goes right up the cup to the source, yep. and then comes out and looks or, or gives yep. some sort of response, yep. and the handler goes, "Oh my God, look at that!" Yeah, and I go, "Your dog does that every day." It, we yep. just we just graphically demonstrated this. Sure. So now we can teach a dog to do a low hide, yep. independent, being mm-hmm. affected by mm-hmm. the winds wow. and mm-hmm. currents, or we can do a high, elevated hide, mm-hmm. or even little dogs getting on their back feet and dancing to the source yeah it's really demonstrative and and to uh the average nose work handler, it's very impressionable. Sure.
0: no, And and like I said, I saw that on the website and I thought to myself, what a good novel idea. Because a lot of times it's some of these novel ideas that help people get a better understanding of dogs and how they work odor. Right. And on that game, getting closer to source, especially when you're patient. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the biggest things I try to get handlers to understand is in the absence of you doing something, your dog's going to do something. Yes. And it requires us to be patient, which we are all horrible at. So in that realm where we know most handlers aren't patient what are they apt to do that affects the dog in that frustration of handlers
1: um well several things we go back to handler era yeah um, they'll either uh, verbalize something Mm -hmm. which immediately distracts the dog okay they'll um they may start to uh, reach for a toy reward anticipating that the dog is on odor when in fact they're not Mm -hmm. so that cues the dog yep uh or they may walk in on the dog uh, mm-hmm. and thereby pressuring the dog and the dog leaves the odor and moves along somewhere. Yeah. All of these things that when, when compounded by the lack of patience, okay, magnify the dog's behavior and do something to where it's, uh, the dog is doesn't go to source, doesn't have an opportunity mm-hmm. because they're so dependent on their handler. Because that's, that's a big difference too is that most pet dogs, mm-hmm. companion dogs, for the most part, they're, they're, they're very dependent on their handler. Mm-hmm. Now, let's face it, that's a, that's a really good relationship. Sure. you know. So and when, as we know as professionals in the, in the drug dog world or explosive dog world, we want a dog that's independently going to source. Mm-hmm. That means whatever I'm doing back there on the yep. end of that leash, that dog don't care. Yeah. All right? Yep. So uh, what we try and do is we, we, we identify those behaviors and mm-hmm. we go, for the handler and yep. we we basically say we're well, going to knock this off well mm-hmm. now to the nose work person or the scent dog mm-hmm. people
0: mm-hmm.
1: we do little training things like the cup yes okay which really magnifies the behavior and uh it gives me time as an instructor to say no, you know you don't move in just mm-hmm. hold back mm-hmm. be patient mm-hmm. your dog's going to do exactly this way and then as we increase the difficulty by raising the cup mm-hmm. you know You'll have dogs that uh, are maybe uh, two feet off the ground at the most when they're stretched out, uh, and we'll have a hide that's four or five feet, mm-hmm. and they'll pick up an odor from 10 feet away and literally, as they get closer, dance on their back feet to the cup because the odor is not dropping, it's moving, and there's no better visual Mm-hmm. Then a handler seeing that going oh my god look at that dog oh yeah and and everybody's smiling sure and it's just it's a it's the outcome is phenomenal and that's a beauty of nose work it's a game absolutely Yeah, and at the end of the day the dog wins the handler wins mm-hmm. and i think that's the beauty of no any scent work for mm-hmm. him, you know
0: so. so when it comes to the law enforcement officers that are out there working detection dogs what are things that need to be aware of when it comes to i guess handler bias or handler influence and what can they do to kind of mitigate that
1: Okay, so a lot of studies on that and a lot of uh, theories on that, mm-hmm. uh, of course, um, on handler bias and, and how to minimize that. Uh, the, the very first thing that I, well, I highly recommend is is if they're not doing blind searches, they should be doing a lot of blind searches. Uh, they're going to learn, the dog's going to learn not every room they go into has dope. Not every car they stop has dope. Um and on, and on other, every piece of luggage has, you know, drugs in it or, uh, may have an explosive, stuff like that. So they gotta learn to do blind searches. Mm-hmm. But coupled with that are doing double blind searches, mm-hmm. leading to double blind certification. That's a whole nother sure. world, which uh, I've, uh, we've been studying for the last uh, eight years with the Canine Association, the Pacific Northwest Police mm-hmm. Detection Dog Association. We have eight years of data on that. Uh, we're putting it together in conjunction with uh, Florida International University, uh, Dr. Ken Furton's group. And um, uh, there's some interesting stats. But but the data is showing mm-hmm. those teams, once we identify it, that start doing double-blind training. Yep. That is where the handler doesn't know the outcome. Correct. Okay, the monitor doesn't know the outcome. Mm-hmm. All right. That is about as close to real life as possible. Mm-hmm. You stop a car at 3 o'clock in the morning. All right? And all the indicators are there, and you've got some sort of articulable suspicion. You're going to go ahead and run your dog around that car, and all of a sudden, the dog alerts. Yep. And you've got to make a decision. Correct. You've got to trust your dog.
0: Correct.
1: Some of the best feedback you know, over the last eight years from all the dog, all the guys and gals that are handling dogs in the Pacific Northwest that do the double-blind certification mm-hmm. is that it has made me trust my dog more. Absolutely. So that type of training just goes hand in hand and i'm a very big proponent of it now yeah. i think it's it's great Absolutely. it's great so. no and it's and
0: those that know me and have been to the, the certifications that i've put on and gone through yeah, the biggest thing you like you brought up is there's always going to be an area which they don't know is going to be blank and the handlers that can walk out of those areas and tell me there's nothing here mm-hmm. are the handlers i have high trust in because right. like you bring up it's easy to find odor, and I, I understand handlers, that, you know they can read their dogs when it comes to the, especially in uh, typical training setups. But when you throw in a controlled negative in there at them, that throws them off. And then on top of that, conducting blind and double blind searches really increases, like you said, that trust of that team. Mm-hmm. Because when they're given that critical task, when it comes to that Fourth Amendment search and seizure right, they will know they're much more confident than yes. My dog is correct. There's nothing here. I trust him. Despite that, drug enforcement officer was like, no, we needed it. They told me I know there was dope in that car, yeah, all yeah, those yeah. different things that can unduly influence somebody. And their dog is going, nope, nothing here. And they back that dog up and they know, yes. yeah, there's nothing here. So in addition to that, it also helps – you told me before you agree with this, which I'm sure you do – is – It eliminates a lot of the problems we see in training because when they trust their dogs and are doing these things, doing the double blinds at times, doing um, more blank areas than areas we target in it, it creates that stronger understanding and trust of the canine team together.
1: Right, it builds trust. There's no yep. doubt about it. Builds confidence of yes. the handler, yep. and the confidence goes down the leash. Yep. You now you have a confident dog, you have a confident handler, you have a great team, mm-hmm. and those situations where it's three o'clock in the morning, the wind's blowing sideways, mm-hmm. you got a vehicle stop, and you go, "There's something out here. This mm-hmm. this nothing. Something isn't right." And you got this articulable suspicion, you know. So you get your dog out of the car, mm-hmm. and you come up, and uh, you go, "You know, seek or find it." And that dog runs around and all of a sudden locks up, you know, uh, on the back uh, trunk area or whatever and just locks up and gives you a solid stare or sit response, whatever the response, the train response is, you know. And that, because you've handled the dog with confidence, Mm -hmm. the dog has gone out to play this game with confidence. Mm -hmm. And what a team, I mean. And, uh, you know, the results are usually good. Yeah.
0: No, and and the same goes for you people in nose work that I've also run into. They used to freak out when they would come to some of my search areas because I would give them three or four rooms with nothing in it, Mm -hmm. and they weren't used to that. They were used to a lot of finds in whatever space, and the best thing I got to do to them was the same thing that we just talked about was when they went through it, they end up being more confident because as I'm sure you've seen on that side – they're competitive and when they're competitive they want to be able to trust their dog so that way they can call the right alert and then the tough part is when they've gone two or three rooms deep and they haven't found anything yet the second guessing clicks in their head yes is it this spot that i saw my dog sniff at longer or what have you and but when they've gone through it and they see it and they they really do get that wow i can trust my dog i have confidence i when i go to trial later on and if i get you know one room or two rooms deep i haven't found anything yet it's not the end of the world that's exactly right yeah so
1: that confidence goes along. Ways as we know in the professional world, and, and what it does, I, I, I truly believe double blind testing uh, certifications or and blind searches. What it that trust that, that comes from doing that time after time, okay, it, it teaches us. And uh, to be a better team,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And uh, so I started the program off. You asked the question, "What are what are some of the best uh, practices a, a handler could have?" Mm-hmm. Well, it, it all falls back to learning and being solid in your foundation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So absolutely, that's where it's at. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and so whether it's professional or nose work, so once they put those two and two together, yeah. Oh my God, they're skyrocketing. They're just going good, you know. So, and I don't care if it's a it's a, a hellacious, you know, Labrador Retriever mm-hmm. that's out there kicking butt, or a mm-hmm. Springer or a Mal, you know. That are doing really well in the professional world. Yeah. Well, I've seen those same type of dogs do equally well in, in nose work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well as the Papillons. Oh, and, yeah. the uh, Bichon Frise, the
2: yeah.
1: uh, Dachshunds, mm-hmm. and oh, my God. I've met I've met the most fantastic people in, in nose work, and there are breeds of dogs out there I didn't know existed. Yeah. And they are for every dog. Every dog mm-hmm. is phenomenal.
0: Absolutely. No, yeah. and you're right. And like you brought up earlier, is it this kind of activity detection in general is – gives a lot of dogs something to do that's productive. It's natural for them and in some cases for some of these pet dogs or rescue dogs it it can save their life in the sense that they aren't having these problems they have and then the owners are relieved of some of these issues and so forth. So it's good stuff and obviously a lot of those dogs their problem dogs at home Became professional detection dogs that we've all found and used as a bomb dog or a exactly. drug dog. Many of our listeners may have a dog that was rescued from some place that is now a uh, a bomb dog or drug dog. So you know this is why I created obviously this this podcast was to kind of celebrate that fact and help each other out in this detection community. So and on that what uh, one number one how do people find you? You know what's your your website or email address well, they can contact you? Okay,
1: my website is pretty clear. It's www.fredhelfers.h Lfers dot com. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, pretty creative. That's my name. That's (laughs) my name. easy, yeah.
0: (laughs) And what kind of things do you, I know me and you are going to see each other in a few months in in May at the Pacific Uh Northwest Canine Association's uh, conference. Uh, What other events do you have coming
1: up? Uh, Well, from a nose work uh, event, uh, uh, I have some training coming up in uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, right after that, we have a nose work camp. uh, Oh, no, right after that in Pennsylvania uh Pittsburgh and then uh Nosework camp in Georgia and then I fly out to uh Denmark and Sweden for um. some some international nosework work folks, and I'll tell you what, those people are just as passionate and uh, just as dedicated with their dogs as, as uh, we are in the United States. Perfect, perfect. Well,
0: again, I thank you for coming on. Obviously, we're being, we'll be in seeing each other again here soon. And people that are, uh, are looking to, to find Fred, you have his website, and on his website will be these different events you go to. So everybody from CNCA out here in Palm Springs... Thank you for listening to Talking Sense. It's okay to be nosy. Do you want to attend America's largest police canine training seminar? Well, make sure you head to HITS, which is held this year in Chicago at McCormick Place, August 13th through the 16th. HITS is America's premier canine seminar, the largest, most diverse canine training event in the United States. This year is HITS' 13th year of coming together are you a canine trainer handler or supervisor this event is one of the best in the nation that brings together all the professionals within our industry offering classes in a variety of different areas to ensure all of our attendees get the best most diverse education check out HITSK9.net, that's number 9net for further information and register today. The CATS Activity Tracking System is a dynamic record keeping program designed specifically for police canine operations, training, and deployments. Designed to protect officers and agencies from potential liability. CATS has been developed by police canine officers, prosecuting attorneys, and software engineers to meet the needs of today's law enforcement dog teams and has been protecting canine units since 1992. In fact, CATS was the first software ever developed for law enforcement canine operations and continues to be the industry leader. It is the only complete records keeping canine software that can be used virtually any platform without the need for software downloads or applications. Visit catsplatinum.com That's K-A-T-S-P-L-A-T-I-N-U-M dot com. This episode was brought to you by Silver State Canine. Silver State Canine is one of the nation's premier canine training facilities. Are you somebody looking to have a professional career as a canine handler? Then attend one of our handler courses. Are you currently a handler and looking to become a canine trainer? Then attend one of our train-the-trainer courses. We also offer a variety of fully trained detection canines. Are you the sport of nose work? Silver State Canine also has you covered. We offer a variety of nose work classes and nose work seminars. For further information, visit our website, www.SilverStateCanine.com. That's number 9com With me now is my next guest, pete stevens pete has been a police canine handler for 17 years and he's been quite diverse in that he's had detection dogs and dual purpose dogs and pete actively now is in the scent dog sport world where he's been a judge trainer and what have you so pete i welcome you to the podcast
2: well, thanks kim the honor to be here I appreciate it
0: yeah so out here at cnca what's some of the main things that uh What's been some of your favorite uh, classes you've been to so far?
2: Oh, man, uh, I geeked out on a lot of the uh, the science behind it. Um, there were some classes with instructors from the uh, military that are, you know, PhDs. And mm-hmm. to me, uh, that was just kind of mind-boggling. I got you to blame for turning me into kind of a <laughs> scent geek, uh-huh. uh, the science behind things. But, man, uh, you can learn a, a lot here, and especially if you're a detection dog handler you need to know this stuff.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and
2: getting out there and, and learning all the different um, points of view and people that have had uh, um, you know their doctorates in these topics, you need to listen to these people. I'm not saying preach everything or accept mm-hmm. it all, but at least listen to it and understand it because mm-hmm. it will make you a better trainer and make you a better handler and you'll understand why my dog just did what they just did.
0: Absolutely. And obviously all the years that you've been doing Police Canine, How have you, this is a question I ask every guest, how have you seen science and technology, or sorry, science and psychology enter the detection uh, world in the recent times.
2: Well, actually it's not even just going into the detection world of things but uh, for me my first exposure to a, a science I guess for it was very rudimentary. Um we had uh switched trainers uh with my agency. Um I had a, a pretty stubborn dutch shepherd. Uh, we'll say he had some outing issues. Yeah. to Put it nicely. Uh-huh. Um and uh, um, I, we've been doing a lot of compulsion with this dog. And we switch trainers, um, and the new trainer comes in and says, "Hey, uh, we're gonna do some outing work. Go grab your tug toy." And I kind of went, "What? <laughs> tug toy? Why?" Yeah. And he he's gonna do what I tell him to do. He's like, "No, just just go do it." Yeah. And you know, we we do our exercise, and he's like, "Okay, now." And I give my dog his command, to "Out!" And he goes i said here held the tug and wow he came flying back to me went to position i made it fun so that's where kind of i started learning about hey there's more to this than Mm -hmm. the old school way we did it 20 years ago by adding so much negativity to it and Mm -hmm. and looking back at that now i remember watching my dog dance away from me with Mm -hmm. a decoy yep and thinking okay Uh, me i was like no he's just being a jerk but now You know, all these years later, I look at it, and I'm going, oh, I'm taking away Uh that toy that I just told him to go bite, and he just worked so hard for. Yep. Which switched it uh, my thinking now, because with the last patrol dog that I had, it was really awesome to see that when he saw me coming up, how his grip got deeper. Mm -hmm. And he got empowered by me approaching, because he was like, you know what? Now you're in trouble, because here comes Dad. Yeah. yeah. You know, so switching over now to the detection side of things, you know, from... uh, the scratching, mm-hmm. you know, the act of scratch, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, apparently command staff doesn't like when you <laughs> yeah, do. One. And you don't get invited back to places to train when they've seen Correct. what you've done to your desk, their desk and whatnot. But the, they were going into the passive alert where we would, you know, bomb toys in, and mm-hmm. your timing was so far off. And then, then you and I started training together. Yep. And um, when I first met you, back in what 10 years ago and yeah about that in seattle we were at the hits conference uh listening to your your uh, presentation and then going on my own watching different videos and uh then we started teaching together Mm -hmm. more and more and uh uh, listening to your presentation every time i gosh i've probably heard your presentation (laughs) 20 20 times easily i was gonna say yeah numerous Mm -hmm. times but the thing about it is is i always picked up something new Mm -hmm. and that's something that I see uh, both in the professional side, like law enforcement, military, and, mm-hmm. you, and on the sport side, mm-hmm. is somebody will take a class and they go, well, I've already done that. Yeah. Well, it's foundational. You should do it again. Uh, yep. Keep reinforcing that foundation. And every time, you know, you demand more perfection out of yourself on just the foundational things, like, uh, you know, switching over to marker training, for me, was huge. Sure. You know, it allowed me to communicate with my dogs with the timing so mm-hmm. much better. No matter what kind of an athlete you are, you are not going to bomb in a tennis nope. ball. with, with and, and dogs are so perceptive yep. of you know the timing of things. You're, you're but giving your marker word or your mm-hmm. clicker or whatever mm-hmm. you decide's best for you yep. um, communicates that so much clearer. Absolutely. You know, so i I've, I've seen it just gone from you know the old days of scratching you know yeah. uh you know working in an area close to the border sure. you would see the customs dog just go yeah. up and start scratching at somebody the rest in of the alert was yeah. never a big deal right well especially down there because yeah. you know border search authority but now you know we're we're seeing dope dealers with higher end cars yep and uh you know with compartments in them mm-hmm. and you know it's really hard for you know, to get your watch commander to sign off you really doing a thorough search on a very high-end car because of the damage that you're causing. Sure. And if you Imagine if you scratch the paint on that car. Yep, yep. You know, that's a $30,000 paint job.
0: Oh, and, and you're right. The... The way, obviously, the evolution that has happened in the detection dog world kind of brought this on because, just like you said, many of the agencies weren't going to stomach the costs that came with paying for the damage on a vehicle or what have you. And, of course, even though there was still odor present, there was no substance being found. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, questions get asked. And then I would say probably what I would call in our evolution in detection dogs – you know detection 1.1 or, or 2.0 let's call mm-hmm. it that we went from scratch alert to passive alert and then I think you know now we're in 3.0 which is the marker training aspect of it so with you know it's a constant evolution have you seen that yourself would you would you say would the statement be correct that this is kind of a Renaissance period in our detection dog world with that new implementation of science and psychology coming into our Programs and we're being much more open-minded, I would say, than we used to be, which is furthering some things that are happening.
2: Yeah, I would say, absolutely. And the reason is, is that um, we're, we're understanding the science behind it. Okay. And when you understand why your dog is doing what they do, and then, let's say you um, you go to testify on an alert that your dog did. How much more confident are you to explain uh-huh. to a court, whether it's a motion to suppress or in a jury trial, whatever the case may be, um, because you have the science uh-huh. um, base uh, in your head, the knowledge base, uh-huh. and you're able to articulate uh-huh. why you're doing what you're doing, and. and uh, we talked about this before when we do our our, our, our uh, scent detection classes together. Is um, you know a lot of our law enforcement brethren, you know, if you ask them, hey, can you tell me what classical condition is, conditioning is and operant conditioning and give me the quadrants of operant conditioning, a lot of them are kind of like, uh, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but. And, and actually, one of the instructors here at CNCA did that, and I was yeah. looking. And you know, if you don't know who uh, what the clever Hans theory is, and yep. you know, you are going to get up there and really kind of make yourself look like you're not passionate about this Correct. if you don't know your dog. Yeah. And my suggestion for a lot of things is become a student of your craft. If Absolutely. this is what you're doing, mm-hmm. you need to know it inside now. You are the the expert.
0: Mm-hmm. You need to know it. Last time I checked, how many dog handlers were forced to be a dog handler?
2: Oh, we all volunteer for Exactly. It. Oh, so if yeah. you volunteer... We put
0: in for it. Yes. We interviewed. And by doing that, you should take it upon yourself to go learn your, tra- your tradecraft. Absolutely. Learn your skill set. Learn the reasons why your dogs do this, why they respond a certain way. What's the best way to communicate to them without having constant <laughs> issues that we typically see that come from poor handler communication Mm -hmm. which causes which we can also define as queuing and if a handler makes one change all of a sudden the dog is now not really tracking what's going on they're busy tracking you versus working their environment and finding and looking for odor
2: sure and one of the other things too I think uh, um, that we we always stress on is patience yes you know we get uh, um, oh I'm going to fix that problem in this training session Uh, no you're not Mm -hmm. Um, you might mask it for a little bit but it's going to rear its ugly head a little bit later yep and there's a process for it. And you, you need to have, a, a, training plan. Go to somebody who's competent. Mm-hmm. Have a training plan and know that, yeah, there's going to be some deviations in it. But you've got to have patience. It's a dog. Yep. And when, the more patience you learn having with your, your dog, the more patience that you're going to have with yourself as a team, mm-hmm. the more effective you're going to be because you're going to be conflict-free. Mm-hmm. The dog's going to want to go to work. Yep. You know, you're not yep. constantly going, come on, we're, you know, you're out of the way. You know, and that's the other thing, get out of the way, yeah. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know, get out of the way. We went from going from six foot leashes where we, you know, almost had a traffic lead, you know, check here, check here, check here, to now, you know, when, uh, one of our training partners, uh, Elliot, um uh, from, mm-hmm. retired from LAPD, um, and he works with us often, you know, he Gave me my first eight foot leash. I'm like, what what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. yeah. But now I'm like, any chance I get to cut my dog loose, I don't want to be anywhere near him. I want him to. Now, granted, yeah, there's a time I need to go, okay, we need to come back over here and check over here. Correct. Or or if the environment, like on the side of a freeway, you're not going to do an off leash or at least I can't. Yeah. but getting out of my dog's way and letting my dog um, tell me, like we we have a little saying, which is, you don't ask your dog questions. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we don't say where is it. Yes, you know, because I, I went down that slippery slope. Sure.
0: Yep. No, and you brought up a great point when uh, Andy Wyman was here. We had a great discussion with him, and he brought forward a excellent point with all the media content that's out there we all tend to focus on a specific thing in that media context. So whether it be a YouTube video or a podcast such as this, whenever a trainer is discussing something, a lot of times that trainer is focusing on that specific part Mm -hmm. of the sequence, and we focus on that specific part too much, and then you forget the other thing. So, for example, what I'm meaning is, We say, hey, let the dog figure it out. Stay out of the dog's way. Well, a lot of people have been doing that, which is good, but they do it to the point where they don't get involved at all. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, there is that. And they need to still – You know, an important thing is you are still a team. So, yes, yes, we may have the dog scan and work an area off leash or on its own initially, but you still need to get in there and make presentations. And your presentation should be fluid and natural, not when all of a sudden your dog – goes to odor and you know odor is there, then all of a sudden you start doing the tapping and they're like, come on, nothing here, right? You're going to stay there. Right. Because then that itself becomes a cue because the only time you're doing that is when the dog is on odor, right? Yeah. So the the important thing is, as people listen to these different uh, pieces of advice or, or training um, information, whether it be, like I said, through the videos and so forth, is that you still understand the context in which it's in, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times it's very specifically focused to a topic but you still are a team, you still let your dog do its job, work, but you still have your pieces, which is be involved, present productive areas, ensure the dog was thorough in its area.
2: It's 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 very similar in both either the, the patrol side of the house or the detection side of the house. And it's, you know, dogs don't clear, people do. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, now a dog, will, when we use a detection dog to clear a room or whatever, okay, you got to make sure that they've, Got to the corners. They've Mm -hmm. they've covered as much as you can possibly do, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, A thing I like to use is like you know use the dog to search four dimensionally. You know, we do three dimensionally, but that dog's got that nose, and um, as a narcotics dog handler, for me, I had to learn. You know, I had to unnark myself. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's always in the nightstand. Oh, yep. you know, oh, there's, yep. there, you know, the meth pipes over there. So you know, mm-hmm. okay, so yep. you had to get out of that mindset. And, mm-hmm. and, and and being down by the border, you know, you guys, we get guys hiding stuff inside cement, inside mm-hmm. this, and you're like, oh my 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 dog alerted to that, <laughs> and yeah. you know, like like well, it's a brick, and then you somebody goes, well, let's break it break it open, and there's the dope sitting yeah. right there. So. You know, you got to have that open mind to go. Okay, odor could be mm-hmm. anywhere, yep. and then it's your job to get your dog's nose in the odor plume and get them to source.
1: Yep.
0: And if you've done proper training and you maintain training properly, a lot of these things are easier to read in the dog, even though we may still have our questions based mm-hmm. on what we're seeing behavioral wise. Because again, we don't know how much odor may be permeating out of something, so. Again, but based on your good solid training, which brings me to this question. So, like I said, you've been in the nose work side of things, Mm -hmm. you've been in the professional side of things. What is something, what is one of the best things you've learned now when it comes to starting a dog and imprinting on odor?
2: Uh, you know, f- for me, it, I, I, especially with puppies, I love doing puppy work. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many different schools of thoughts. And, you know, some people like, oh, you can't train the dog until they're six months old, whatever. And I'll get calls from people and they say, oh, when should I start training the puppy? And I go, well, when'd you get it? And they go, mm-hmm. two weeks ago? My answer is two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I like to start getting them, especially puppies, mm-hmm. getting them imprinted right away. Because, mm-hmm. man, they will amaze you. Yeah. You know, they are, they're, They're so capable of being able to, uh, um, they do a lot more than we think they can. Mm -hmm. Um, And their their ability to learn Mm -hmm. uh, at such a young age, it's amazing. And and you learn all the different science, like how a puppy will look at your face Mm -hmm. and they recognize the facial expression that's what they do in the study that was done where where how they look at your eyes and they watch your face expression that's the first thing that they do and they stay focused on that and they can pick up on those little things so they're they can learn so much and i I didn't think it was possible and then you and i were talking a little bit and then we did uh, i did some behavior shaping with a a a corgi believe it or not, a friend of mine sends me a text message like hey you better get over here we're gonna kill this dog (laughs) and just for fun i was like okay you know what i'm gonna do some some Behavior shaping here. Yeah. Just the clicker within probably, I would easily say 15, 20 minutes, we got yeah. this dog going, this puppy um, going across a room, mm-hmm. putting its paws on a bucket, turning all the way around, mm-hmm. and then running back and coming to a sit. Mm-hmm. All on uh, just sh- on shaping.
0: Yeah.
2: You talk yep. to me three years ago. That's impossible. You can't yeah. do that.
0: Yeah. yeah. How know. would you, um, so as you introduce the game of odor, let's call it that, as you're imprinting the dog. Would you agree that it's well, – what we don't want people to always consider like, oh, all we're really focused on is imprinting of odor. It's also the ability to problem solve and use these, lack of a better term, which I've used numerous times, puzzles. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's a scent puzzle that we're giving them because in that brain development stage that they're in at that point in that young age is that we're using the odor as a tool to solve a puzzle. Right. And as we develop training later on where they get to that more solid training age, we because laying that foundation that sure. you're talking mm-hmm. about by creating scent and using a puzzle to you know, locate that odor, even though that puzzle is pretty not complex. It's right. a very basic system, but it still requires a dog to solve that puzzle in order to be successful. That, and then in turn, has the dog being able to, as it becomes older, find success
2: quicker. Exactly. And I think it builds more confidence in the dog. It builds more confidence in the handler as, as a team. Correct. So you are so much more confident with your dog. It, the hardest thing to do as a handler is to walk out and go, I got nothing.
0: Correct. <laughs> That's know? one of the hardest
2: things. You have any handler you know? walk out of a
0: space, no matter how big it is, and you go, I don't have anything.
2: Right. And But to understand that, hey, I'm not saying there's nothing in there. Mm-hmm or any of those target odors are in there. I'm just saying my dog did not get its nose into any kind of odor plume. And therefore w- I didn't see any changes in the behavior. Mm-hmm. We ran it the best we could, but I didn't see any changes in the behavior. I'm going, okay, you know, mm-hmm. we need to do it. Uh, or uh, we need to do it again or something mm-hmm. like that. Run it a second time or whatever the case may be. And I, I usually don't like to run things a second time, mm-hmm. but based on, you know, Hey, so, Oh, the back window was open. All right. Let's, let's, kind of changed that, you know, maybe that was a change in environment. Um, but f- the building of the confidence in a team, it, it takes a lot of chutzpah mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. And, and my number one thing as an
0: evaluator, I'm doing certifications is there's going to be an area that's a controlled negative. And I have strong confidence in teams that are going through certification that can clearly say there is nothing there. Mm-hmm. Versus the ones that can tell me where all the hides are at, because I know they, their dogs are good, their dogs can find odor, but it requires that team confidence that when that person goes through that area and comes out and says, nothing found.
2: When we were talking about, you know, we, we dug a little bit into the sport world things a little bit, uh, and I really enjoy um, doing training and evaluating with the, the, the scent detection people on the sports side, because you will see things where they'll walk into a room with that dog, and they'll one lap around or whatever, and like, no, clear. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question mark. Yeah. It's like, clear? Yeah. Yes. No, it's a statement. It's clear. Yep. And they walk out 100% confident. You know what? That was great. Yep. That was really good. I only see that really in the law enforcement side from, like, really senior teams. hmm You know, guys that are very, or that exception of the rule where you've got a guy who maybe is a, 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 an officer that's got a dog maybe a couple of months in, and they really get it. You know, all of a sudden, those are people that just really understand animal behavior, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and it's animal behavior in general. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you start learning uh, about those things, and guys, some some guys just get it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you see they have that confidence to say, "I'm," I I didn't see any change in the behavior. So,
0: on that, what would be a good description for our listeners of a confidence building game that you can do with your dog, no matter whether you're a professional or you're in nose work. Um, what would you say, or what would you think of as a good confidence building game for canine teams?
2: A lot of blanks. Uh, uh, blanks are are hard and they're frustrating for people because uh, a lot of people keep training multiple finds. I'm not saying you don't need to train multiple finds. You do absolutely. You sure. do. You need to, you know, have a very good, broad spectrum of, you know, a, a long, long search with one hide. Yeah. But then maybe you need a, a very short search with, you know, several hides in sure. it. Sure. But then to have that blank mm-hmm. and having the confidence to cause that blank. So varying it up that hey, mm-hmm. you know, and it starts with knowing the changes in behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you can recognize those changes in behavior, yep. whether it's, okay, it's an interest in a novel odor. Yep. And if you look at it mm-hmm. and it's a novel odor, say a, a food distraction in mm-hmm. a box, you know, and that's one of the neat things about doing what we do together is we'll put the food. We know it. And we get to watch 30 dogs run through this. And, yeah, they'll have an interest in it. But then you see the change in behavior of an interest of a novel odor or something where they uh, are changing behavior in something that's a novel behavior, not the target odor. And then we get to the target odor. There's a definite excitement at the target odor. The food odor, whether, whether it's uh, – or distraction, whether it's food, pet smells, all that stuff, there's an interest but when it's a target odor, there's excitement, correct? Because all those the the, the brain of the animal is like mm-hmm. going, "Oh, I found it! What I want is coming!" You know, they get that that release, the anticipation yep. of that the reward, unconditioned response. Right. That they exactly. Yeah. Big science words. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly. exactly what it is. Yep. So that's exactly what it is. And, and and you you can't train that. You can't change that change. You can't train that change in behavior. Mm-hmm. You sure as hell can observe it though. Mm-hmm. And if you learn to observe it and call it correctly, and go, okay, that's just interest in something, but that's not excitement. That's not what I normally will see. That's the, the big confidence thing for me is, hey, here's a video of a novel odor, and here's video of a target odor. Look at the difference in your dog's behavior. Tool. Look at it. Just just study it. Are there going to be variations? Yeah it's a dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you learn generally like, okay, the, the excitement's there all that the, they paint that whole picture for you, not just oh, little sniff on a seam of a box or whatever. And okay. Yeah, sure. They're interested in it, but that's not a, an alert and a change in behavior. That's just, Hey, I'm going to sniff them. Cause isn't that what we're training them to do? Mm-hmm. Like if you set up a, set up a blank area and I love doing this as an instructor, we set up a blank area and it's fairly big and you see, uh, a handler with a team come through and they've got a, a a dog that sniffs the seam of a box and they come out and they go how many did you miss and they go oh i missed the one that's on the cart and i go well what'd your dog tell you uh you know they left well m- maybe your dog knows something mm-hmm. you know hey they, they sniff weren't we training them to do that yeah. just because you sniff doesn't mean that it's the target odor. They, you were tr- Correct. R-
0: Understanding that difference is, is, again, for new handlers can be obviously very difficult going my dog's interested in something and it's sniffing that versus that sniffing behavior they see at target odor, which as we both know, is that you're talking about, is very different types of behaviors prior to, as I come up Mm -hmm. to it, obviously something with a very animal-ish smell, whether it be cat urine or other dog urine or what have you, the dog's body language and behavior is different when it smells things like that versus when it's target odor that you've trained. And handlers really need to get into the nuances of their dogs, and a lot of them do. But still, when they're first starting out, we understand it is very difficult to see that in that stage of learning as a handler right so on that what would you say what's the best advice you'd give a new handler somebody within let's say their first year of detection dog handling regardless of its sport or in the professional side of things what's something that you would give
2: advice wise with your experience I would say two things I would say um, patience which we kind of talked about already absolutely Mm -hmm. and the other one which was really hard for me for about the first I just passed my 29th year in law enforcement humility humility Yes,
0: being willing to take <laughs> right. their the criticism and the pointing out stuff, and being humble about what you
2: where you're at, and, and knowing that you, you know when you watch video of yourself and you already you know making excuses for what happened, quit making the excuses. When we do uh, a lot of the detection training stuff that we do with, especially the sports side of the house, I can honestly tell these handlers that you know you're making the same mistakes I did. There's no difference. You know, and having the humility to go, "Yep, I made that mistake." It's like, "Oh yeah, that was." That's the great thing about the sport side is that they're they're like, "Oh, I didn't know that." That's great. We tell that to the cops. You're like, "Oh, you don't like me because and you're like, oh uh, no, buddy."
0: And, and, and unfortunately, we talk about it because that side of things, both sides of the house, can have egos oh, and things like that. I, I think you know, obviously, the mentality and difference between being paid to work a dog. Mm-hmm. And where the people that are involved in, in sport are paying paying you know, a, they're paying to be sure, a handler in a yeah. sense. So their the levels of, of passions can vary, but both sides are still very passionate oh, about their dogs. Um, but with that comes, I would say, more often than not, it's harder for us in the professional world to deal with a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, we hold ourselves to a very high standard, and when we feel we're not making that, that sucks.
2: Well, it's the human. Well, it's you take it personally. Absolutely. You know, and then you take the the criticism, Mm -hmm. and it's constructive criticism, and and, and it can be put out. uh, um, One of uh, my mentor is very good at giving you criticism and being very humble about it. Mm -hmm. Our training partner. Elliot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is the most mellow, calm guy, but will just tear you a new one. You just don't know you got it.
0: Well, I'd love to have him on the podcast because mm-hmm. he's got one of those voices for radio. Oh, absolutely! That, so when he's telling you how bad you suck, you're like, "Oh, it's oh, okay," yeah. because Elliot's for telling sure. it to me in this way. And it, this the tone of his voice is so nice and calm and relaxing. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. he's got that look on his face, like, "Come on, are you a freaking idiot here? Yeah, What's going you,
2: on?" But he, you know, to, and, and, and to strive for excellence, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't accept mediocrity. Correct. You know, um, don't make excuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Remember that your dog is a dog. It's not perfect. It's an animal. Um, And also, too, is like there's some things that are just out of your control. Mm -hmm. Things that are out of your control are uh, the the flow of air current, which carries the odor. And knowing that it's an odor plume and there are peaks and valleys inside it, and it might have just been that one millimeter where your dog's nose was below it and you just missed it. There's nothing wrong with the dog. The dog's not broken. After trials, we'll get calls from our past clients. Oh my god, we got to work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, they send you the video, and you're like, "No, you did everything right." Yeah, it's it's a dog. Yeah, your dog's not broken because they want to break it back down and start all over again. Now, as a business owner, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. but you know, the reality is, is you got to go. Ah, you know what? Really not accept it that they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. They're pretty darn close. I mean, I think we science has proven that over and over again. You know, we've we've spent millions and millions of dollars trying to find the best device mm-hmm. for detecting anything, whether it be mold, explosives, mm-hmm. um, any evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, watching uh, when it, the seminar here this week, Dick Stahl, is mm-hmm. teaching uh, a, a dog to find bodily fluids.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, on the, a sheet. And I'm yes. like,
2: okay, mm-hmm. that's freaking awesome. Oh, yeah because they could have already washed those sheets mm-hmm. but that trace evidence is it's there it's still there and that dog the dog picks it up and mm-hmm. gives them the sample area mm-hmm. for the forensic people to grab their sample from i mean how amazing is that
0: oh it's it's incredible what they can do so what i'm going to ask now oh this will be the last question i'll have to mm-hmm. ask you you are a uh, evaluator judge right. for the uh, nose work sport so as a judge for those that in the competition side of things What's the best piece of advice, or I even open this up? What's the most common error you see from handlers when they come to trial and they're standing there in front of you getting ready to go do that search and they see you over there with a clipboard? what's something with some good advice you could give people that are you know knowing that the big thing we always talk about is difference between in street uh, or a professional side between reality searches mm-hmm. and training searches? So on the sports side, it's training and then competition. so as the evaluator and the judge, what would you say is your best advice for people that are in that competition mode?
2: Reinforce the f- foundations. When you're training, reinforce the foundations. And when you get into a con- competition mode, then um, you, you, you come up, and you, you're, you're going to be nervous. Mm-hmm. But in quite in all honesty, the, the ones that you see that – and I've, I've heard it some from these, some of these handlers. It's great. They're like, you know what? I'm just here to have fun with my dog. And they actually mean it. Mm-hmm. They mean that, okay, we had a bad day trial-wise, mm-hmm. but I got to spend all day with my dog running around, sniffing in a different place, kind of getting that stress of the the trial jitters. And then maybe on the next one, they're going to be a little bit more calm, a little bit more relaxed. But uh, as far as for trials, before you get to the trial, reinforce your foundation. I don't care what level you are, you can be at the summit level. Mm-hmm. If you're not reinforcing the foundations from your basic even, before, you know, your ORT boxes, your non not doing boxes, mm-hmm. and you're not, you know, that's the foundation of what you got. You're not going to excel and be really solid up here. So reinforcing the foundation is critical, mm-hmm. always.
0: If, by doing that, to your point you mm-hmm. made, you'll come into that competition day being more relaxed. We know mm-hmm. everybody that comes up to that starting line uh, with their dog and they're oh, getting yeah. ready to go search they're mm-hmm. super nervous if you go into that mindset and it's all about mindset people from being a trainer and special forces the things that we always get into things it's a mindset so if you can can train yourself to have that more relaxed mindset and that calm breeds calm you're going to walk into that event and having that proper mindset means you're calm, your dog's going to feed off that and not be right. as nervous as you are, and you're going to end up having a better trial than you would being overly nervous. So build that calm, breeds calm mindset, and you
2: will perform better on a competition. This is the kind of the, the mindset that we see sometimes. And it's it's funny. So I, I've been judging for a, a person that does – she sets up some amazing trials. I mean as as a judge, you are well taken care of. Uh, everything's really organized. The flow is great. Judge a couple of trials for this this host. Host calls me. Oh my gosh, my dog is so nervous. We got our first elite trial coming up. I'm just, oh, I just want the dog to have a really good time. I just want, you know, and we're just, we're just nervous. And my answer was, um, hey, did the dog send in the email or write the check to enter? <laughs> and the person goes no I go. then they have no idea that this is an elite trial you do so why don't you just go in there and have fun and not care mm-hmm. yeah I know it's hard to get into these things sure. and the, the, the enthusiasm with these people is amazing because mm-hmm. they're happy when they're 84th on the waiting list and it's like there's a chance yeah. so going in there with that relaxed attitude you know head up shoulders back chest out take a deep breath but you're there to have fun Mm-hmm. If you go in there and you're having a good time, your dog is going to be relaxed. They're going to feel the power. They're going to go, hey, we got this. Mm-hmm. You, we're going to run through it. Whether it's a teacup, Yorkie, some high-speed melanoir, or an English Mastiff that's mm-hmm. just flopping along. But they, you know, if they feel that power behind you, they're more confident with them. And that, that goes back to having confidence as a team, yep. you know, with making the, the, the right calls because your foundational training has led mm-hmm. you to that. But going in with that mindset of, hey, we're here to have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Nobody's going to die if we miss this. Correct, <laughs> correct. So um, I know
0: some of the different things that you do in your off time when it comes to training and working mm-hmm. with other people. Uh, first, how do people get a hold of you? And then number two, what events do you have upcoming in the near future? Um, well,
2: the, uh, the website that we all started together, uh, was our, our company is The, the Sensible Canine. And um, our seminars that we have coming up, um, we will probably be having something at Strategic Ops here this spring. Um, which is a fun military and law enforcement training facility down in San Diego. Um, new building, new venue, um, being completely remodeled. Uh, that I can guarantee you will I've sell out I've seen that quick.
0: firsthand. It is multi-story <laughs> too.
2: Uh, it's... It's going to be a blast. Um, so, we're going to have all sorts of different other um, uh, building types. I think there's a, a schoolroom, uh, a shopping center, an apartment, all in one building. Um, so, we're going to have it all at one location. Uh, and then I've also got a couple of workshops coming up one in uh, Leona Valley, which is in uh, like the Lancaster Palmdale area, and then another one up in Napamo which is up in the San Luis Obispo area, and then also at uh, Gape Ranch on... Uh May the fifth called Sneeko uh was it Cinco de Sniffo. Oh, so nice. we've got a Little play on words there like I like to do myself. <laughs> well so we're gonna be uh doing uh, uh containers and exterior workshop, live coaching um there at Agape Ranch. Uh it's in like the north uh, eastern portion of San Diego County, uh, in valley center. So kind of over by the San Diego Wild Animal Park if you're familiar with that area. But uh man, that's gonna be uh, uh an amazing venue. Uh the uh, container search I've got plans ridiculous. Yeah. Good. So it's going to be a blast. And then your big one, I'm not sure if there are any spots left, but you can still talk about it. I do have some auditing spots left, but we are bringing Mike Suttle uh, from Logan House Kennels. Uh, he and Megan are coming out uh april 4th through the 14th uh in ramona california which is again in the northeastern portion of uh, san diego county uh for a four-day detection uh workshop um all the working spots got snatched up honestly before i even posted it um (laughs) it's funny how you tell one person and you say don't tell anybody but it got out quick it's (laughs) amazing imagine that Uh, but we do have some odd spots left um you'll learn just as much as uh you know um doing an audit spot and picking up the the basics. Matter of fact, a couple of the people that are um, coming in working dog spots this time were actually auditors at the spot that I um, worked at the last time because, man, how much fun was that? Oh, Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, in in those of you that want to learn marker training, it's one of the best ways to go through this training because Mike brings chickens. uh, Yeah. Pete learned... (laughs) If you can mark a chicken, you can mark a dog. Right. And it's the old concept. If you can dodge a wrench, Ranch, you, can you can dodge, dodge a ball. A ball. <laughs> so if you're able to, and it really does teach you timing, which is the ultimate part you of know, that. So, yeah, those of that, those you get to do that or see that, that's a, it's a great seminar. The, the
2: chicken training for me, um, I've gotten to be able to do some really cool stuff, some high-speed things in my career. And that actually made me really nervous, training a chicken. Um, but I'll tell you, by the end of it, uh, I was having a ball, and I really understood. Uh, got a good um, uh, clear understanding of marker training Um, and that if you miss a mark you're not going to ruin anything it's just you might have to take a step or two back and rebuild and that's what's amazing about those chickens is they're so fast yeah they're so fast and your timing has to be so spot on but when you do get it um when you get it right uh, you know you're going from packing a poker chip to having them walk out to the end of a table, go around a cone, come through a tunnel, coming over in and doing a different, you know, setting out a bunch of different colors of poker chips and having them pick out the right one. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's absolutely amazing. And if you want to start getting into marker training, that's the thing to go to.
0: Because it gets you out of your comfort zone. I mean, we talked about in other classes when You know, you have a leash and dog, you're comfortable. But working with a wild animal and learning how to apply marker training, which you'll do with your dog, which you'll find out is much
2: easier, really pushes those boundaries, but it really helps you learn the most. We also learn that uh, the chickens don't want to be there. Your dog wants to be with you. The chicken just wants its reward. So it really is a, a great learning tool. Um, when I first talked to you about training chickens, and you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, try it. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting a chance to do it, man, uh, I can't wait.
0: Yeah. now We'll give Mike a free plug here for sure. Is If those of you that get to uh, come across Mike Suttle of Logan House Kennels, you will see some really good information being passed on there from raising puppies to the marker-based training. So just if you follow that or you get to go to the Pete Seminar in San Diego, you'll get to see it firsthand. So Pete, I thank you for coming on and, yeah, and, and discussing some of the similarities and differences between sport and profession and uh, your experiences there. And like I said, we'll have all the ways to get hold of you in those contact notes. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Pete and Fred. The upcoming episodes continue on from CNCA, where I got to interview Amy Hero and Jill Marie O'Brien, two of the three founders of Canine Nosework. Both of them conduct this interview with me, discussing all the different aspects that have come along in the evolution of Canine Nosework in that sport. So, coming up, episode two... Will drop within the next week or so. Hope everybody enjoys. If you have any comments, questions, I would love to hear from everybody. Please email me at Ford F O R D at Silverstate dot 9.com. That's Ford at SilverstateK9.com. Send me your questions, send me your comments, tell me people you want me to interview. I look forward to it all. So until then, It's okay to be nosy.